We believe that big companies that win in this space, whether they're OEMs, distributors, contractors, mom and pops, will realize this. Earning technician trust earns market share. So my ability to serve that person in the field, this is how I win as a business. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Aaron Salo, co-founder and CEO of XOI Technologies, a platform that uses workflow automation, NLP, computer vision, and machine learning to streamline documentation of service calls, facilitate real-time remote support, intelligently archive and resurface service content, and improve customer transparency from the front lines of field service. Blue-collar work marked Aaron's entire personal and professional life, instilling in him a passion for the hardworking people in the field service industry and the importance of them in our everyday lives. It was his passion that led him to build a modern cloud-based technology solution that transforms the way these companies do business and service their customers. I love what you're doing, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Carol. So you have a... You know, you launched this to help, you know, in a shortened version, field service companies overcome this glaring shortage of skilled workers. Tell me a little bit more about this and this problem that you're solving. Yeah. If you think uh, for folks that may not be super intimate with the mechanical, electrical, plumbing space, it's the things that we take for granted. So if we're all honest with ourselves, it's a nice 70 mm-hmm. degrees in here. We're all using the restroom yeah. inside and we have electricity yeah. to, to enjoy life. And mm-hmm. uh, we service the men and women that fix those problems when they're, when they're broken in those particular industries. So it gets hot in your house in the summertime, you have a toilet not working, you know, you apply that to any residential situation as well as any commercial environment where these things become much more mission critical. So if you think about that for a second, the context of that, that uh, technician that comes to your home or your office to fix something or solve it or replace it. There's this kind of big gap in which current technology solutions are not solving. And, and amazingly so, it's the curb-to-curb space. It's the time a technician gets out of a van or truck to the time they come back. When they're actually doing the work that you as a customer care about, their office cares about, the industry cares about. And so when we think about simply what XOI is doing, it's empowering that technician to be instructed on how to do the best job they can every single time, collect information to communicate more effectively with, with us as customers, with their customers. And then we, 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 as a result of that, are learning from those interactions to make every interaction, whether it's a break fix and preventative maintenance, uh, asset analysis, better through data science and artificial intelligence. And so a great use case is, is really you think about someone's at your house that can't fix the problem. They're able to use just by a picture of a data plate on the side of your HVAC unit. We serve them expertise about that unit. Here's why it breaks and when it breaks based on where you are in the country. Here's the documentation. Uh, Here's the service history of that unit. And if all those things don't help you get it done, we'll put an expert on your shoulder virtually to see what you see, hear what you hear, talk with you about it in real time, and we'll solve that problem for you. We'll record that interaction. And the next person that hits that asset 
has has that information in front of them. And uh, the company was started with solving the skilled trades gap. That's that's the reason we kind of get out, get out of mm-hmm. bed every day is the ability to be able to solve for the fact that five people leave these industry. For every five people that do leave these industries, one is being replaced. I just heard a number that's up to 10. So a library is burning down every time someone leaves these industries. And we're trying to consolidate this knowledge and information so young technicians can get involved. All right. They walk out the door with all the information and no other way to get it, right? It's, it's, stuck, between their, it's stuck between their ears. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me, that, what's that gap again in people for everyone, for every how many that go out? Yeah, so I just I validated this data. I know I've seen I've seen research round five, but just this week, uh, a close friend who's in the industry said it, the newest reports are saying ten. So for every ten people that leave the trades, only one person is getting in. And, and if you kind of think about it, that's yeah, why? Because kids went to college. They went they went and spent a bunch of money with a bunch of meaningless degrees in some cases, yeah, uh, because they didn't want to be plumbers, <laughs> and so they got a bunch of debt. And you know, this the case may be we had a real marketing problem. Uh, as a as a country for a long time, so a real marketing problem it, it, for you know service people. Do you mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you yeah. think about, mm-hmm. I could soapbox on it for a while, but if you think about it, even for like movies, right? What are the, all mm-hmm. the movies glorified? College is partying, and this is where you find yeah, yourself, right. and you should go do yeah. this thing. And the reality is, someone gets a degree, and and uh, they spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars. They spend a huge chunk of their life paying off. Uh, to get a job that really isn't going to pay that that down, whereas the marketing around being a blue collar person is oh that's beneath you. Don't do that. Go to school, right? Go. I mean, don't be don't go be an HVAC tech. That's beneath you. That's kind of you know um, ditch digging, you know, or whatever the case may be. So when I say marketing, I think it's it's multifaceted. But um, you know, we took we took tech school, uh, tech you know trade shop out of high schools. We stopped doing right. shop class, you right. know. And yep, uh, yep. the reality is the stuff's not going away. No one's built a robot to come make you comfortable in the winter <laughs> when you get cold. Yeah. Listen, I, I get it. I, I mean, the, peop- the people who are my, you know, the guy who services my HVAC um, grew up when, when where I live was nothing but ranch land. He used to cut the hay fields where Coles now sits, right? Yeah. And where Home Depot sits and all that. He grew up here. And I, I would call nobody else other than him. You know, it's his own business. He and his wife run it. You know, he's got a bunch of people working for him. And, you know, it's when I have him come over, when I have anybody else come over to do work, the people that, you know, own these small businesses, you know, I, I just, you know, this is, these are the kind of people I want to patronize. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And, and I know, absolutely. I'm sure you service large companies, um, but, I'm not, you know, personally, I'm a small business. I'd rather patronize people like me. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, and and no I question. think that's super important. And and my question is, and and I and I talk to them all the time about the challenges that they're having finding people. Right? I mean, Scott is brilliant, and you know, I remember uh, a friend of mine who lives in a <laughs> very large house um, who had, I think, they had had the manufacturer of her HVAC come in. Nobody could figure out what the problems were. I think they had two two systems in the house, and she says, you know, well, what's your guy's name again? <laughs> And I gave it to her and she said within 15 minutes he had it solved. Yeah. That's knowledge yeah. to your point, right? That is knowledge that exists because this is what he's done for so many years. That's right. And when he decided, him and his wife decided to retire, that yeah. knowledge is nowhere but in his head. And, and so the reality of pulling it together is, is important, you know? So, so what are we doing uh, as a country about this problem, Aaron? 
Yeah, I think the pandemic was interesting. For every 10 people leave, one person's coming in. I think the pandemic was an interesting help, actually, because I think we started using the word as a country, the word essential, right? We were all hearing that on the news quite a bit. What's essential workforce mean? And and it's interesting how many blue-collar, hands-on jobs were Oh yeah, we need these these folks. Um, yeah, all of a sudden, right? So, yeah, the epiphany. Yeah, right, yeah. right. It's much it's much more important um, than than we considered. So I think that was helpful. You know, I think we have a ton of people in the industry doing incredible work. I mean, the biggest name I'd say is if you see Mike Rowe, the Dirty Jobs guy uh, that had the you know, TV oh, yeah. show. He started the Micro sure. Foundation. Yeah. He's on TV quite yep. a bit talking about this problem. Um, but then you've got people like you know my friend Josh Zolan wrote a book called Blue Is the New White. You know, talking about blue collar is the new white collar, and this is the opportunity people are missing. Um, and so, I agree. And of course, we do a bunch of work there too, in terms of you know working with trade schools, unions, um, giving them the tools. And I think that from our perspective, the technology side is building technology that meets the the young technician where they are. So we kind of we talk about you know we have a we have a TikTok attention span of a generation, right? Where everything is fourteen Horrible. seconds. I know. I need. Every, I need everything quickly. Yeah. And so, for example, mm-hmm. we built our tool to not say, "Hey, let's help you search YouTube videos or big pieces of content." Let me give you a 15 second clip about this problem in the moment of need, because this is how you're used to consuming content and interacting with things as a consumer. And so, really cool tools like that. Uh, my friend Doug, who runs Interplay Learning is doing some really cool things with VR where you can be immersed mm-hmm. into a training environment right oh, before you get in the field, great. Uh, sure. which is really cool. So, so there's a bunch of people yeah. doing uh, awesome things for, for skilled trades. It's, it's a problem that's not going away. It's getting worse. The supply chains exacerbated this because supply chain's a massive issue too. So uh, at the end of the day, we believe that big companies that win in this space, whether they're OEMs, distributors, contractors, mom and pops, will realize this. Earning technician trust earns market share. So my ability to serve that person in the field effectively and earn their trust with good tools, good technology, good information, this is how I win as a business. I can no longer ignore that guy or gal out in the field kind of doing their thing if I want to succeed. And and I think a lot of companies are looking to solve that problem. Yeah, that's really fantastic. So you founded the company in 2013. Uh, you just closed your D round in May, and the total uh, institutional capital you've taken is about $40 million. That's fantastic. Um, what has your investors excited about what you're doing at XOI? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, when we started, we started in smart glasses. That was a big emphasis for us kind of starting the business, which was we're going to put these smart glasses on technicians' head and see what they see and hear what they hear. And there's been companies that have continued to do well in that. We pivoted away from it a long time ago because we focused our business on mission-critical remote work. Uh, when I, and that's another way of saying that more simply is really hot, really uncomfortable, dirty, greasy situations where every minute costs a lot of money. And as it turns out, giving a technician a $2,000 pair of smart glasses and saying, don't break it, keep it charged, connect it to your hotspot, do all yeah, the things right. in the environments we serve is not difficult. real effective. <laughs> yeah. So, so pivoting into kind of phones and tablets and focusing on data science mm-hmm. intelligence was important for us. Um, you know, our investors are excited because they believe that the opportunity not only to serve the technician in a meaningful way, but also the connection between people and equipment. What we've found over time is that the biggest names OEMs that create this equipment in any market, whether it's HVAC, uh, electrical, plumbing, commercial kitchen, telecommunications, they don't know what happens on a job site. They have very little visibility on the actual lifespan of their units, how they actually break in the field in different environmental parallels. 
And so what it became clear of kind of the first part of our mission statement is XOI is empowering a world in which people and equipment are connected. We purposely didn't say technician because what we found is, yes, the technician, they're always first, but also the sales folks, also the business yeah. leaders, also the distributors, the OEMs that don't understand what's happening in the field. We can empower them to be better, to make better equipment, to, to service their systems better, to have better warranty processes because that connection between uh, a person and the equipment is the critical connection that's not being made. So I think their excitement is aligned with ours and that that vision to be a system of intelligence between the curbs on the job site, um, there's really just a massive opportunity there. And as we continue to focus on the technician experience, we can get there. That's great. So I want to hear a little bit, uh, Aaron, about your journey to founding this company in 2013. You know, you kind of talk about coming from this, you know, this blue collar environment and this blue collar work. So tell me a little bit about, yeah. you know, where you came from and, you know, this is your second, second company that you founded. So yeah. So, you know, it really, it starts kind of growing up in Michigan. I was about as blue collar a kid as you would expect. You know, I remember early on working with my, my dad and my stepdad and on cars early on. And, and, uh, you know, I remember the first car, I remember asking my dad, I said, Hey, you know, I'm 14 years old. I said, how's that, that first car looking for me? He goes, it's looking about as good as you can go earn and make money to buy one. And at the size of 14 year old, like this is ridiculous. And, and of course now I'll be 40 in a month and a half. I yeah. for a long time have appreciated very much uh, that, that and I'll still that my kids as well. You go work for what you get. It was an important lesson. But the funny thing about that and the blue collar tie into that is he, he, he said that and it will be a stick and we will work on it. So just to give you a sense of like the kind of mentality. I remember it's like, if you can't drive a stick, I mean, you, you can't be a man, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing. Right? Just kind of this, this, yeah, what do you mean you can't, an automatic? What do you tell? You can't change your own brakes? You can't, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, so funny. You can't work on your own engine? Like there's just kind of mentality there. And so I remember working on that car a lot with my dad. But my bubble that I grew up in was that this is work you should be proud of. Right. And so this really, the reason I go back that far to talk about XOI is that I was in that bubble where everyone I knew, my grandparents were farmers, my dad's manufacturing. My stepdad was in a manufacturing, big automotive business. All my aunts and uncles worked in the field. I was like, this is how you make money in life, right? You work with your hands, you make it happen and something you should be proud of. What I realized as a geriatric millennial, apparently this is what I am, is that, uh, <laughs> is that my generation was told a much different story, you know, uh, and that it was like, hey, don't do those things. I mean, that's what losers do. And that became evident to me as an employee, as an entrepreneur, that uh, these folks were, were undervalued in so much that I couldn't find them. I couldn't hire them. Uh, I couldn't find people to do the work. And so this is what we're hearing more and more from our own customers is I leave millions of dollars on the table every year because I just can't find people to do the work. And, um, it's, it's a big deal for folks. So that's that, that was what we started the, the business on was this idea of, man, I've seen this in my experience. I see how the knowledge dissipation is going to continue to get worse. The skill trade is going to continue to get worse. And our first attempt at trying to solve that was, was smart glasses. Google glass had just came out. If you remember around like yeah, 2012, right. of course. you had like yeah, yeah. music, music, someone hundreds, you had really need something. And a lot of these companies are, are still doing amazing work today. Um, but it was the spark to go, gosh, how do we connect that young guy that doesn't know anything and, they, and the older guy? And, if, you know, how do we make them, how do we connect them? And then it kind of blossomed into a, a much deeper, more evolved thing. But 
that's kind of the impetus. And, and, you know, that was the experience I have. I spent my entire life in manufacturing construction. And, um, you know, I tell people very honestly, I said, I got, Josh quoted me saying this in his book, which was, I'm not especially, uh, passionate about HVAC. And I thought, Ooh, my customers are going to hear that. Be like, Oh, geez, really? I'm especially passionate about blue collar people. And I think that is absolutely true. It happened that HVAC was a big part of where we landed and expanded. And I've learned a lot about it. But I think to some of the best people on the planet, they deserve to have good solutions. And my personal why is is dictated behind that need to not see people like my grandfather, my dad at 60, which is not old, barely able to walk, bad backs. They destroyed their bodies. When the talent they built was here, but they had to express it here, right? Because they had no other option. And so as we think about this new generation, as we think about changing that paradigm, um, that's, that's important to me. And that's why we continue to, to try to solve this problem. Yeah. I, I, listen, I think, I think what you're up to is really, really interesting. Are, are there other, is there, I mean, what's the competitive nature of your business? Is, is there anybody else doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting. If you look at the, the kind of landscape I laid out around technician software, right? The folks that come to your home offices, hospitals, data centers, right? there's right, this, right. Uh, we would describe field service management solutions are a very mature landscape of, you know, kind of hundreds yes. of players there. Um, these are the folks that are going to do ticketing, dispatch, inventory, mm-hmm. labor, you know, kind of all the things that run the business. And so um, we focused, you know, pretty specifically on that, on that job site moment in time. And I would say that um, there has been quite a few solutions, especially the last few years, I was now looking to address that job site knowledge gap, communication gap type of thing. I think, I think, you know, perceptions reality. And so when we think of competition, you know, there are customers that will point out a live video solution and be like, yeah, does this do what you guys do? Or uh, a part solution and say, is this, is this what you guys do? And I think the reason it's hard for we don't really get into competitive situations today, which is a good and a bad thing, uh, because you're educating and it's greenfield, but also you're educating and it's greenfield. You know what I mean? To be honest, yeah, right. <laughs> is is this idea of continuous versus episodic? I think it's one of the biggest codes we've cracked. Mm. You have to engage technicians who did not get hired to use technology, right? Yep. And some of the younger right. ones like it, right? But at the end of the day, like right. it, it's something that they see as an extra thing. I got hired to fix stuff. I want to work with my hands. I want to kind of be my own CEO in the van. Like I don't want to, I don't want to have to do all this extra paperwork. And I think the thing that we solve for that makes us different uh, and why it's hard to, to find direct competition, when you engage a technician with value in every job, continuous use cases that aren't just, oh yeah, I broke something or I need help what was that live video platform I was learning on? How do I dial those guys up? Or, oh yeah, this time I need a part. Let me go find this. We've built a foundational platform that provides value to them, the customer, the stakeholders in the office every single time. And so I'm kind of answering what may be the next question of why we're different. But I think that all comes down to, we just humbly listen to technicians on on job sites and we continue to all the time. Yeah, Yeah. And that's what drives everything. So... Of course, of course it does. You know, I mean, uh, I, I could, I cannot overemphasize the the point of you know we have two ears and one mouth, <laughs> probably for a reason, right? We need to be listening twice as much as we're talking. And no question, you know, and and you know, we we live in a world where I think people don't. For, well, I, I don't want to off on a tangent, but you know, especially generations, they they mostly don't know how to communicate. 
you know, like you said, 14 second TikTok, right? I mean, people don't understand how to communicate anymore. So, you know, I, I, I just, you know, like I said, I think what, what you're up to is really, really interesting. So as a, you know, you, you, you're on your second startup. Tell me a little bit about, you know, real quick, what peak manufacturing was, uh, you were, you know, in that as the co-founder and COO for four years, um, you know, prior to, Going on to another business prior to uh, founding your current Starting company. Starting so on, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. T- look, I, I want to hear a little bit about that business and 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 some of your leadership challenges there and what you've altered in your current company. Yeah. So very very young guy, uh, full of piss and vinegar at that time, was working right out of school uh, with my mm-hmm. yeah, working with my dad and another business and. Um, you know, he and I, for various different reasons I won't get into here, we're like, we got to start something separate than the situation we're in. <laughs> and so right. um, we started this business. My dad is uh, one of my best friends and a brilliant machine maker. Um, you know, he he wasn't so much on the, I want to hire people and sell things and uh, uh, build a business type of side. He wanted to, you know, he's, he's a, a brilliant machine maker. And so we're able to start Peak together. Um, I was drinking from a fire hose in a lot of ways. And we built a building out. We hired a bunch of people running quality systems, accounting systems. It was an incredible opportunity um, as you would, as it would have it. And this is, you said a lot about preparing for this podcast to be authentic. So I'll be, I'll be really authentic with you as you would expect Two eights on the Enneagram are going to butt heads over time. If you're familiar with Enneagram at all, I right? am to mm-hmm. kind of, uh, control. I'm also, I'm also an eight, by the way. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's my leading hard quality. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And every strength has a shadow, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, certainly my youth, uh, didn't contribute to it and he was in a certain place in life. And so, I think the combination of that, but also I had this, I had this, this, this demon on my shoulder that I couldn't kill, which was, you know, no matter how much you contribute to this business, uh, it's going to be your dad allowed you to have this opportunity because I had been across different situations where uh, a lot in life, and I've met a lot of different variations of this, where it is, I'm just going to ride dad's coattails and, and be successful and, and, and be good. And I've seen, also seen a lot of businesses where the son took the business to a whole nother level. You know what I mean? Um, but for some reason, I think it was probably insecurity. I just couldn't get, I couldn't, I was like, I got to go prove myself, right? I got to prove that I can do this. And so the first way to do that was to go, I became a plant manager. I moved to Nashville with my wife, my, my fresh, uh, fresh bride. Uh, who was my high school sweetheart. We're still married today, just celebrated 15 years. We were like, hey, let's move to Nashville. And we're going to go big city. And we grew up in the Podunk area, Michigan. Nashville is like a, a metro- like the biggest metropolis ever, which in the last 20 <laughs> like years, it actually city, has comparatively, been. Comparatively, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so mm-hmm. we became a plant manager, started, you know, and that's that's kind of how that, that, that went. My dad and I, you know, again, he's one of my best friends. We're very close and we absolutely uh, mended uh, fences since way back then. But that learning experience was <clears throat> like no other. Uh, I mean, just the, the running finances, running the accounting side, hiring the people. And again, that's not what he wants to, nor is it really his forte. And so I was forced to learn, you know, uh, a lot of that stuff in that time period. And that was, it was super helpful. But uh, the reason I left and the reason that, you know, that business is doing extremely well today, um, uh, it's actually, he's, he's stepped away from the business in a huge way. And it's, it's run by 
the best president and CEO in Michigan, <laughs> a lady awesome. named Amanda Hutchings. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's still doing a fantastic job there today. I think they're probably sitting around 50, 50 employees or so, but still manufacturing a lot of the same stuff we did in the beginning. Um, and, you know, uh, if you see an 18-wheeler on the road, Peak Manufacturing probably has a, a, a wheel hub in it, or a bearing spacer, rather, in the, in the wheel hub. So um, a really exciting business, a small business, profitable business. So that's the story there, and that's, that's kind of what I learned in, in my process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's fast forward to almost 10 years ago when you founded this company, XOI. Um, Tell me a little bit, Aaron, about, you know, as a leader, um, what, what you've done, what kind of challenges you've encountered, what are some of the mistakes you've made and you know, what was it that had you pivot from those mistakes? Did you actually see that you were doing them? Did Mm. somebody have to bring that to your attention? Yeah. Um, we'd have to do a Joe Rogan length podcast for you to talk through the mistakes I've made in business. (laughs) I I, I hear Um, that all the time. I would say we'll pick a few of the highlights. (laughs) Yeah. It's been, it's been monstrous. Um, you know, I think, I think the biggest one is people are hard, but worth it. And I found myself to be, um, I think this is just an honest take that may not be super popular or PC way to say it, but there's, I found myself very jaded with people over time. You know, you get burned, you have certain situations in which you feel like you did the right thing. And and you get to a point where you have to be reminded by people you trust that people are still worth it. No matter what that employee did, no matter what happened in that situation, whatever, you know, it is. And I think that's been a constant thing for me. And I think people always talk about culture and people are the best thing in the world and they are, but like acknowledging that can be really hard as a leader over time. You could have a handful of experiences that put you in a place where you're like, you know what, maybe you are just human resources that just need to work and be quiet. That's an honest take, right? And it's not the right take, but it's okay to be, I think, transparent enough sometimes to go, sometimes you feel that way. You have a situation where you get extorted, where you have someone lie and get you know drunk with a customer or whatever, and you go, ugh, you know. And so, but the reality is, people are the best thing in the business, and and so I'm taking an angle again, being authentic that it, that's that's hard sometimes, and that's been hard over times. But um, I have to be reminded, smacked upside the head, that without these people, without this team, you would you wouldn't have anything, and they are what make a company go. I would have told you that customers were number one eight years ago. I think if you make your people number one, customers are taken care of, right? Well, I've changed you know, my perspective right. on that. But it's yeah, hard. So and I'm acknowledging yeah. that it's hard. Uh, yeah. So that hopefully someone listening doesn't feel immediate guilt for having that feeling sometimes and then snapping out of it and going, no, this mm-hmm. is worth the investment. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. When you say people are hard, Aaron, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, I think I think it's 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 just being able to manage all of the expectations, all of the nuances of different personalities. And one of the reasons we did Enneagram as a leadership team is to understand what are people's fears, what makes them tick. Um, why is it that it, as an eight we could have a very terse conversation with somebody and then immediately forget about it? Uh, except that person's thinking about it for five nights and they can't sleep. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. and they're like, you just snapped on me and I can't, it's in my head for a week. Why is that? And I'm going, oh wait, we're still talking about that. We're good, man. We're good. 
you know? And it's like eights can do that. They can go, hey, yeah, right? And so I think that's why it's hard because you have to work at it. Here's another thing. Like anything in life that is good is hard. I believe. Marriage, hard, (laughs) right? I used to have a boss that was like, yeah, if people say it's hard and it's work to be married. Well, you didn't marry the right person. I couldn't disagree with that more for more, right? And it doesn't mean that it's hard in a nasty way, but it mean, it shows that you care. That's how you make it work because it's freaking hard. Kids, hard. Business, hard. Faith and, you know, it is like hard because you ask lots of questions. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are hard. And I think that, that people in those ways are one of them, but they're worth it. And, um, so learning how people tick, learning what motivates them, learning what their fears are, what their insecurities are, that's hard work. And I think that, uh, you have to want it to make it, to make it happen. So, so uh, regarding your industry, is there anything that kind of just bugs you about it? I think it's, um, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, probably the thing that, that is, is, is right alongside that skilled trades gap. And what the kind of what's happened as a result of that is that you have business owners and leaders in some cases that are walking on eggshells around technicians, which I think is that that may be kind of swinging to the other side of the chasm. And, and they need to be respected, extremely well paid, extremely well supported. I absolutely am not saying anything against that, but it's now swung to the point where it's like, I'm almost scared to put in new processes and operations and do things that I know our customers want because that guy's going to go get a dollar an hour working somewhere else. And I think whenever you're playing scared like that um, within your business, that's one of the most frustrating things that I see where it's like, no, just, 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 just because, and again, I'm not saying go make them do stuff and they're just, I'm not this, that's not what I'm saying. I think it's swung to the point Operating where it's out like, of fear is really, really not productive. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't even you know, recommend something because I could lose these people, but it it also signals how bad this problem is. So I think sometimes seeing that's interesting. Well, it all, it also, I think signals that they're the business. If they're that afraid to talk to their employees, it tells me one, they don't have a talent center organization, um, which is included in how you communicate with your people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's, and that's a whole other conversation. But that's what that tells me because companies that are actually talent centric, you know, as in, as in they've like achieved a 10 out of 10 don't have that problem. Okay. And, and, oh, by the way, there is no panacea to get a hundred percent retention. Yeah. Yeah. But my goal is, you know, you, you need to get 90% at a minimum, get your recruiting right. And you also should reduce your churn, your employee churn, to under somewhere under ten percent. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what your customer churn should be under ten percent. Yeah, right, right, right. So why, so why are we looking that any differently with our people? You know, what's interesting. I'm curious to get your take on this, and I'm not in my interviewing yeah. you, but on this path, <laughs> I, I always thought to myself, I always thought to myself, money, like 20 percent raises don't matter to to a person leaving a company if the culture is awesome. Mm-hmm. But what correct. I think we've seen in the last year and a half, mm-hmm. I've gotten, I'll say this, I've gotten some of the most beautiful resignation letters <laughs> in the last year and a half. And we've been fortunate. I think we have a strong culture here. Things we need to work on, warts that, that need to be addressed, no question. But 
overall strong culture that has had a very high retention. But we've lost a handful of folks last year and a half that were like, I love this company. I love our vision. I love my team. My boss is amazing. I just got a job making $100,000 a year more as an engineer. And I just had a baby. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Well, and right. Go, oh, there yeah. is enough money. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some of the price, some of the, some of the, some of the things that have happened the last year and a half is crazy. So it's kind of interesting for me as a professional going, I always be that person go, it's not about money. It's about being respected. It's about being trusted as a coach. But there is, I think there is in this world that we're in, there is a number where you go, I, I just, <laughs> I can't not do this. Right. Um, and that's starting to cool off now, right. With the market kind of doing what it's doing, that's cooling off. But it's an interesting point in time, and I wonder if you, as an expert, if you think, you know, that's, this is very much a, an exception, not the rule, and yes, I guess there is that amount of money that can make that happen or not, but anyway, I was curious to get your thoughts. Um, what I will say about that is that everyone, I firmly believe everyone has a price that they will sell, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the guys that, um, not survey monkey, it was one of those other survey companies who promised their employees they were never, never going to sell. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the company. They just, they just sold in the last few months. Um, and you know, there was an article on business insider that talked, you know, people, their employees were furious. They made this promise and they made that promise. And I wrote, I wrote a, an, a post about it because, you know, what people aren't doing is for one, they're not being accountable for somebody making verbal promises. Now, yeah, granted, people should keep their word. That's all that your integrity is, is about your word, right? And, but, you know, whatever company it was that came along to buy them made them very, very rich. Okay, these guys that sold. And I thought, you know, people, you've got to be accountable. They promised they were never going to sell. Why didn't you get it in writing? Yeah. I yeah. mean, really? And, and yeah. you know, it, my response, if, if somebody, if I had said that to somebody, well, will you put that in writing? And they said, no, how much more do I need to know about that? That's right. What that tells me is there is a number somewhere that, that, that will actually have them sell. So mm -hmm. when it comes to money there, you know, with, I think with many people like this guy, hundred thousand dollars more, I mean, I love working for you, but I just had a baby and, you know, expenses are going up and we're in a recession and yada, yada, yada. Now, the other side of that, which is your question is, yes, that's starting, it's starting like the housing market to cool off. Companies are already laying people off. Now, mm -hmm. does that mean we're going to we're going to fall into what we fell into in 2008, 2009? I hope not, because that was pretty yeah. shitty for our country. OK, right now. Right. What could end up happening? And I, I just had I just had somebody uh, uh, write this on Twitter. You know, I uh, these people came in and then, you know, the grass is greener. They go somewhere else. And the next thing you know, they're asking for their job back. <laughs> yeah. We've had that. That happen could too. happen. Yep. That could yep. happen, Aaron. And, and yep. I think that's when, you know, people are going to have the, you know, as I call them, the come to Jesus meeting with themselves and, yeah. and really, you know, really figure out, you know, they, yeah, I mean, this could happen. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen because a hundred thousand dollars more than he was making is pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. But there yeah. may come a time where, you know, last in, first out. I mean, it could be any number of things. And he's like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Let me yeah. call Aaron. Maybe, you know, hopefully he'll take me back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But but, but yeah. here's what happens. Let me just give you one final point. Here's what happens. He now becomes a fidelity risk to you. Mm -hmm. 
He quit once. He'll do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for And sure. then you need to make that choice. Do I want to bring him back? That's why I've never been a fan. If someone, if someone leaves the right way, we, I think we have an incredibly supportive, like everyone's got a thing they got to do. And, and, and this particular person is an amazing person and certainly would love to have him back. But I think there is, um, yeah, you, it's the same reason I don't when people come and you kind of see that they're, they're quitting, but they're fishing like, but I won't quit if you just you give me like a $50,000 raise or do this for me. Yeah, it's that's, like, that's a, that's a deal breaker. Never, never. So, somebody gives you a full court press like that. No, you should never buy them back. Never. Yeah. Why, where were you when, well, you know, and they're they, like, and that's why I saw, we'd lost some of this a few years ago and she was going to come over, sign an offer letter, a whole thing. And she's like, oh, my boss gave me this big raise. So I'm going to stay. Counter offer. And I said, Jesus. I said, I said, yeah. Hey, why didn't they think you were that valuable to start with? Well, right. I, I've written a ton about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And as an employer, now you're looking over your shoulder all the time, right? If someone's ready to move on. Like if I'm worth it now, why wasn't I worth it five minutes ago? Right. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't ha- you should not have to put a full court press on somebody to get the money out of them that you deserve. You give raises before they ask or expect for one. That's one thing I've learned That's too right. is like- it, it's, Or you, you communicate people. with people. That's right. Yeah. Or if you can't, you communicate what, what's going on or whatever the case may be. That's right. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. That's great. Good stuff. So um, who, do you have an ideal client or an ideal size of client? Like what's your avatar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, ideal customer for us is, is someone in the mechanical electrical plumbing space. Um, right. You know, I'd say we skew heavily towards commercial, uh, but, you know, heavily 60%, 65%, and, you know, 30, 35 being residential. So, um, you know, anyone that's, anyone that's got technicians kind of working in commercial areas, hospitals, data centers, industrial offices, things like that are really good clients for us. Um, but yeah, uh, also again, getting a commercial kitchen. So, you know, certainly have more and more customers there as well as, um, com- commercial road grading and kind of construction equipment as well. So we kind of think about the two lenses of mission critical equipment service remotely. Like that's, that's our ideal customer, you know? Um, there's folks that fix coffee machines that are awesome. I wouldn't say that's mission critical. It is for me probably because I need my caffeine every day. But like, you understand what I mean? Um, (laughs) If I've got a system down for you know uh, an MRI machine, that's costing a hospital. That's a much bigger deal, right? (laughs) Right. And those patients and all Mm -hmm. that. So yeah, that's what we kind of think about. What's the financial model? Is it is it you know per you know per seat per person who's carrying around that iPad? Uh Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, per user, kind of per user per month. Um, and that's both kind of technicians and, and office and back end as well. Yeah. How do you define your culture, Aaron? I think the first, the first thing that comes to mind to me um, immediately is we share this unbelievable passion for making our customers happy, which sounds altruistic. But it actually is really rare in that our fights and interactions, you know, most of them are healthy, are around how to make a better product for our customers. And I think I've been in it for so long that I don't appreciate it until I see other businesses where you have people that are apathetic, they're there for the paycheck. It's like, I'll do my thing and get out of here. Um, we have a lot of lively discussions about why that's going to work for a tech and why it's not and all the data. And, and it, that makes me proud. And I think that's what sets us apart. People care deeply to the point where I just hired a new CFO. He was meeting with our 
with our outsourced accounting people that we've been using. And he goes, I can't, these guys aren't even employees. They care so deeply about this business. It's almost weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like what you guys do and how your customers work and all that. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think that uh, makes me proud is that we've built a culture in which that's just the kind of people we hire. They, they're, they care deeply about what they're doing to the point where it's personal to them. And, you know, it's not everybody. And as you grow, it changes. But um, I'd say that's the biggest thing I think about. Yeah. I, the, listen, is it, it the biggest challenge for any founder or founder and CEO, you know, founder slash CEO, is how do we grow and keep our culture? Mm-hmm. It is yeah. hard. And it yeah. actually takes work. To your point, right? This is work. That is work. That is work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what? Also realizing it's okay if someone just wants to come work eight hours a day and go home. So, so, you know, early on when you have a group of founders and your first group of employees, you sell, you know, you're probably not paying them a ton of money You're selling them on equity and the future and the whole thing. So you're getting a certain type of person. Another growth thing for me, I can see it goes like, I don't, not everyone has to wake up super passionate about their job every right. day either. We're getting to mm-hmm. the point where if you, if you give trust, respect, you're, you're good to work with, you do a good job and you want to get, you want to punch out every day at five o'clock and enjoy your family or think like, I get, you don't have to do what we've done to get this business to this point, which is insane and sacrifice and all the things. And I shouldn't expect that, right? I shouldn't expect that until we're a hundred and 200 and 300 employees as we grow. It's just not reasonable. And so, right. That's growth too, you know? Well, and that's, and that's the, you know, that's what the critical nature of having an effective talent strategy, right? Because there, it's different for every company. It it might be different for different roles in your company. And, you know, you, you just have to look at what's the most effective thing for us and our growth. Yeah. Right. Like those early employees, you get them with equity, you know, you, you closed a D round, you know, people are still getting stock, but I, I mean, I imagine people are still, maybe they're still getting stock, but it's certainly not as valuable as it was 10 years ago. Right. Right. For sure. Yep. And that's okay. You know, that, you know, that the, the people who come into you in seed or a, that's a very different person than somebody who joins you when you're at CD or beyond. That's right. Yeah. And okay. I mean, the risk profiles commensurate with and that's the okay. Potential that's outcome. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, so speaking of people, you have about 70 employees. Uh, tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and where you have found challenges in the market, especially, you know, given the last two and a yeah. half years we've been through. Because I know everybody's having problems with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, yeah, you know, I think, I think for us, we, we went remote. Um, I'm talking to you from a, a co-working space where I have a small office. Um, just got rid of two floors of a, you know, kind of tourist trappy commercial area that I used to have over in Nashville because it's paying a ton of money. And and most of the company over the pandemic we had hired remotely. We you know we had folks out there. People had grown accustomed to that. We we showed that we could be productive in that environment. So that's right. That was a big shift for sure. Good. And I think one of our current challenges, and you know, we just did a culture survey with our company and, and got some feedback, is that 
we've done it. We tried to do a lot of things to make remote work more engaging and bringing everyone together in certain intervals and, and using different systems and platforms to communicate more effectively. There's still a gap there for us and we need to make sure we address. So, you know, we are trying to think about creative ways to, to engage with folks, bring them together intermittently to make sure there's that there. But when they're all over the country, that's a little bit different, you know, than it used to be. So I'd say that's a big, like, as far as the talent strategy, um, you know, we, we just hired our first director of HR, really excited about that. Probably a little late in the game for us to be doing that. <clears throat> um, but she brings with her a lot of expertise and talent around recruiting, onboarding, um, you know, how we're managing culture, how we're assessing things, like how our culture is working. And so really excited to have her on board and, and help us continue to think about that. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so. You know, have you noticed things in your space heading into a different direction or maturing in a particular way recently? In terms of talent or just generally? Generally. Yeah, like the market and those kind of things. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, things that might be changing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I'd say supply chain is uh, a massive, yeah. massive problem that is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, you know, uh, the, I, I parts, do not understand the parts, the parts and supply and situation. <laughs> I'm is, so is, sick of hearing that from people. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, you've got situations where you got 40, 40 week lead times on stuff. I mean, uh, we'll see you in a year. <laughs> so people are, yeah, are forcing yeah. themselves to figure out how they sell, how they staff. Uh, how they, you know, drive knowledge and information at the right time. Um, uh, one of the really interesting things, brand loyalty is a huge thing in the mechanical industry that has complete, almost completely gone away in the last two years. Really? Yeah. Because people so can't get a, stuff that they want. And they got to yeah. serve their customer, right? That's right. And, and most consumers like you and I don't have any idea what a Daikin carrier train Lennox Ream means. The guy's like yeah. comes in and he goes, uh, yeah. you can need this size system. It's going to cost you this much and it's going to make you comfortable in your house. And you go, okay. And so <laughs> the reality is the customer, right. the customer, right. Doesn't, isn't dictating <laughs> like, no, I need you to buy this brand. They just, right. you know, but the interesting thing is that OEMs of course have tried to create this brand loyalty. So they've got, you know, comfort pros or people that are kind of like, Hey, we'll give you a special discount equipment if you buy 70% at least of our product, right? They've created these things, but when they can't get them stuff for 40 weeks, Hey, you expect me not to make my customer happy? Let my business die? Sorry, right. I'm going to go buy of the course. competitor stuff. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing. I think universal parts is a big thing. When you take that problem and lump it on top of skilled trades, it's really interesting because I've got knowledge dissipation on both sides of the spectrum, meaning older folks that have all that knowledge we talked about that knowledge is changing under their feet quickly. So they may not be as effective because the equipment that's coming out, they had to use different suppliers or they're using different OEMs. They don't have the skill sets. And so that just exacerbates the skilled trades problem because now the equipment's changing. And then on top of that, the EPA, because of all this initiatives we're doing around the environment, the equipment's changing because of that every couple of years. So it's new equipment, new parts, you know, sears have to be a change. We have to do less, you know, green gas and all these different things. And so you've got all these things kind of coalescing into a nightmare of sorts that needs to be addressed with, with uh, you know, better knowledge, better information, the moment I need, more asset-centric information. So it's, uh, it's interesting uh, space right now, but it's all impacting that job site. You know, it's all what happens on the job site. 
Aaron, what's your day-to-day look like as a leader? You know, I wake up about 10 a.m., go to a late lunch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> three martinis later. Yeah, right. You know, it starts almost every day with, um, with, a, with, a, with a strong workout. That's my therapy. That's my high. And that's that's where I yeah absolutely um, have come to appreciate that as a requirement in my life, um, you know. And then it's it's uh, usually um, taking the taking the the two and the almost two and five year old to school. Now my wife's a nurse practitioner, so she has a career as well. And so whether depending on where she's working, we're sharing that responsibility, doing home stuff, and then then it's it's grinding out, um, you know, uh, emails early in the morning, kind of you know any initial calls with the team and. I get the opportunity to meet with people across the country and every day that are looking to try to solve these problems at every stakeholder level. And so whether it's working with them, whether it's, you know, working with my team, continuing to grow new leadership, um, you know, it's always a mix. And that's the, the, my favorite thing about it has been, there is not, I never get into a groove every day where it's like, well, here's today and I'm just doing this one thing all day. Usually it's a mix of a myriad of different things, which makes it a lot of fun, but you have to have a good motor for as well. And I'm a weird person that enjoys that. So <laughs> that's usually a lot of those kind of things. Um, followed up by family time at night. That's a day. Great. So uh, if somebody uh, listening to this interview is, uh, you know, really interested in what you're up to in your company uh, and thinking, gosh, I, I maybe be interested in working for them. What should they do? Yeah. So we have, uh, we have career page, of course, on our website, like most folks do. I think, you know, I am, I am looking right now for product leadership, uh, mm-hmm. in the business. I'll plug that here on your podcast. So I think someone's going to take us to the next, to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be directly to me, um, because that's someone that's going to work mm-hmm. on our ELT and really help us drive that next level of kind mm-hmm. of intelligence in the industry. So that's a big one. And, um, you know, I think, what what I would say as a pitch for our business and working here is that, again, you have a group of people deeply committed to solving a problem for a group or market that really deserves it. And I, you know, me personally, I could not wake up every day feeling excited about what I was doing to make, since we used a TikTok better, right? I mean, it's, it wouldn't be like, yeah, we're really making a difference in the world. We're going to make this better. No, no, no shame to TikTok people who may be listening. These folks are are providing us the stuff that we need every single day. And there's something about making legacy and an impact where I hope we look back on this business in the future and we go, man, we made an impact to someone who deserved it, someone who really needed it, something that I enjoyed my entire life. I kind of took for granted, if I was honest. I work for a company that made a difference, right? And, and I think that that is, uh, we have the opportunity to do that. We have a tiger by the tail in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's, it's fast moving. And there's a lot going on, but we're doing something again for a group that really deserves it. And that's exciting. Too. Well, amen to that. Aaron Salo, co-founder and CEO of Exo High Technologies. Thanks for being with me. I really love what you're up to. Carol, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. 
I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.